In fact, Kenny, I, I didn't get one, and I've got to find out what, what I'm supposed to say this morning. <laughs> As you can see uh, on your study sheet that we are, we're studying the book of Revelation together, you'll also notice up at the top that this is now our 84th message into the book of Revelation. Our folks have been teasing me now for about the last year and a half that the events in this book are going to begin to take place before we actually get through the teaching of them. And, uh, and that, is, that is probably true. Now, I hope that it's true. Amen? Now, I, I want to tell you, uh, I, I wish I had about 20 minutes to just catch everybody in the room up. But if we're going to say everything that needs to be said from the passage that we're looking at this morning, to be just straight up with you, we don't have the time to go through and, and show you the context and how this all fits in. I will just tell you this, that God takes a seven-year period of human history that's about to begin on this planet, a period of time that is called the tribulation period. And in the book of Revelation, what he does is he carves out 13, chapters out of the 22 chapters of this book to deal with that seven-year period. And the reason I believe that God does that is because it is such an incredibly intense period of time that I don't even think our minds can envision how intense it's going to be. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 24, there's never been a time like it in the entire history of the world, and there'll never be a time like it after it. And we're in the midst of this seven-year period of time, this, this tribulation period. In, from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 19, what God does is he brings John four times through the tribulation period. A lot of folks get themselves messed up because they think that when chapter 6 hits, the Antichrist appears on the scene and we begin to move through the tribu tribulation period. A lot of folks think that, think that it's just one continuous thing that leads all the way up. You need to understand what takes place from chapter 6 to chapter 19 is our Lord is bringing John and us four times through the tribulation period. He brings us through the first time through the opening of seven seals. Then he moves to the sounding of seven trumpets. And we are right now in the midst of that third time through the tribulation period, through the revealing of seven personages. We find our way into chapter 13. And as you can see again at the top of your study sheet, this has now been the, the tenth message as we've been dealing with in chapter 13 with this one that we refer to most commonly as the Antichrist. And we began to, to just go all over the Word of God to begin to see all of the things that the Bible says about this, this false Christ, this false prince. And we began, first of all, to look at the unique parentage of this false prince. And we looked at his family lineage in, in verse 1. We won't take the time to go through all of this again. We looked at his family likeness in verse 2. And then we came to his family legacy. And I'm telling you, and we are going to have to spend just a little bit of time to remind those of you who have been here and to kind of dial all of the rest of you who haven't been here into what's going on. And I guess of everything that we have seen thus far in the study of, of Revelation, at least in my mind, this, is, is, this has been the the most fascinating portion uh, of Scripture that we, we've come through. I mean, when you get 
When you get all of the cross-reference pulled into this passage and you put those verses into the context of what John revealed to us in chapter 12 and what he revealed to us back in chapter 9, what it shows us is that at the midpoint of the tribulation, something of unbelievable significance is going to be taking place above the earth while at the same time something of unbelievable significance is taking place beneath the earth and both of those things are going to culminate with something of unbelievable significance that is taking place at the very same time on the earth and the way this thing shakes down look back in verse 10 of chapter 12 what this verse lets us know is that after 6,000 years of Satan getting in God's face, accusing his saints, what it shows us is at the midpoint of the tribulation period, God's finally going to say, that's it. I've had it. And he's going to look over at Michael the archangel, who's already done battle with Satan 5,000 years ago over the body of Satan, and God's going to say, Michael, would you do me a favor, brother? Would you go over and get that sucker out of my face? And Satan's going to say, Hey, if you think you're bad enough, then bring it on, angel boy. And angel boy is going to say, Hey, well, let's, let's do this. Let's just step outside. And what it says is they step outside of the third heaven. They come into the second heaven. And all at once, every angel that fell with Satan in his rebellion is going to immediately come into Satan's corner. And as soon as that happens, every angel that is under Michael's jurisdiction in heaven is immediately going to come into Michael's corner, and they're going to start going at it. I mean, I don't know exactly how it is that spirit beings go at it, but what it says is there is going to be war in the heavenlies. And when it's all said and done, Michael knocks Satan's lights out, and he's cast to the earth. And when he's being cast to the earth, Michael and his angels make their way back into heaven around the throne. And when they do, look at verse 8. What it tells you is that they close the door behind them. And Satan and his demons will never, ever, ever again have access into heaven. Verse 8 says that Satan and his angels prevailed not in this war. Neither was their place found, check it out, any more in heaven. And verse 12 says, Therefore, rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. And what's really cool to think about, folks, is that in just a couple of years, those that dwell in heaven, that's going to be us. And I'm just telling you, man, we are going to be rejoicing. I mean, we're gonna, when Michael and Satan are doing their thing, we got ringside seats just watching the thing go on. Go, Michael! Go, boy! Yeah! yeah. And when Satan is forever cast out of heaven. I mean, don't you know that we're going to rejoice? I mean, we're going to for three and a half years, y'all, we're going to have to listen to him get in God's face accusing the saints. Accusing us, even at that time. And buddy, at this point, he's cast out. It makes me want to rejoice right now. But we're going to rejoice then. But, but no sooner have we begun to rejoice but that we realize the terrible ramification that this is going to have for those 
who will have turned to Christ during the tribulation period. And so the rest of verse 12 says, on one side we're rejoicing, and then immediately we say, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. He knows that he's only got 1,200 and 60 days to do what he's going to do. And buddy, he's going to come to this earth and he is going to make the absolute best of the time that he has left. But now listen. While all of this is going on above the earth, at that same exact time, what verse 3 and verse 12 of chapter 13 lets us know is that the beast or the Antichrist who for three and a half years has, has wooed the world and wowed the world and won the world as a counterfeit of the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth. And at the midpoint of the tribulation period, what these verses tell us is that the beast is going to receive a deadly wound to the head from a sword and will be killed. And, and now listen, it'll be just at that time. When he gets that head wound from the sword... It'll be just at that time when Satan is cast out of heaven and will descend from above. And when he hits the earth, guess where he goes? He takes up residence in the lifeless body of the Antichrist. And at that point, the Antichrist will literally become Satan incarnate. But what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is that this is really even more incredible than just that. Because now listen, at the same time that the Antichrist is assassinated on the earth and Satan is descending from above the earth to take up residence in him, at that very same time, y'all, down beneath the earth, there is a diabolical rumbling that's going to be taking place. And what the Bible tells us as we compare Scripture with Scripture, listen to it now, What's going to be happening beneath the earth is the soul and spirit of the one that Jesus referred to in John chapter 17 in verse 12 as the son of perdition. He is going to ascend out of the bottomless pit. And who is that, y'all? Judas. And for you folks who weren't here as we studied this in detail, we don't have time this morning to go into the detail of all of the verses again, but listen to it. Acts chapter 1 and verse 25 says that when Judas the son of perdition, hung himself after betraying the Lord. It says that he went to where? His own place. The place over which Revelation 9, 11 says he is the king. And that place, of course, is the bottomless pit. And Revelation chapter 11 and verse 7 says that this king or this beast is going to ascend out of the bottomless pit. And while Satan himself is descending above from, uh, from the heavens above down to the earth to take up residence in the body of the Antichrist. At that same exact time, the soul and the spirit of Judas Iscariot ascends from beneath the earth to take up residence in the body of the Antichrist so that he will not only be, uh, will the Antichrist be Satan incarnate, but he'll also be Judas reincarnate. I mean, just an incredible thing. When you begin to see how this whole thing 
comes together. And listen, if you're ever really going to understand the family legacy of the Antichrist and understand just how unique his parentage actually is, you've got to understand all that we just went through and what is going to culminate in the body of that Antichrist at the midpoint of the tribulation period. So, that's the unique parentage of this false prince. And now let's begin looking at the second thing that this passage tells us about him in verses 3 and 4. The unparalleled popularity of this false prince. The unparalleled popularity of this false prince. John says in verse 3 of chapter 13, look at it. He says, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And what we find here is that by this point in the tribulation period, the people of this planet will be so absolutely overwhelmed and enamored with the power and the authority of the Antichrist that they will literally wonder at him. They'll worship him. His popularity, folks, will be absolutely unparalleled in all of human history. Listen, there will never have been in the entire annals of history anybody that will have the place that verse 3 and 4 describes that the Antichrist will have at this point in the tribulation period. And I want you to see, first of all, the reason for his popularity. The reason for his popularity. And to fully understand this, I, I need to remind you of a few things that we've seen over the last several weeks. And that is that at the rapture of what is no doubt going to be millions and millions of believers off of the face of this planet who in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, will have just totally vanished from sight. And, and when you play into this thing, all of the ramifications that an event like that would have the entire world is going to be immediately gripped with fear and, and panic to the point of, of hysteria. Loved ones and, and friends and neighbors and co-workers are just, just gone. And catastrophes are, are taking place all over the globe as planes are crashing and trains are derailed. Cars and automobiles are crashing because their, their operators were just removed. Immediately the stock market crashes. And listen, and in just one, just one split second of time that could take place even this morning, but in just one split second of time, the whole complexion of the entire world is changed. It's changed economically. It's changed politically. It's changed governmentally. It's, it's changed emotionally. It's changed spiritually in just about every other way that you can think of. And listen... Just at that time when the entire world has just been turned inside out and upside down and the world is at that point going to desperately be looking for answers and somebody that can make sense out of all of this and somebody to, to bring hope to the planet. And it will be at that point that the Antichrist appears on the scene and according to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2, he'll ride onto the world scene as a knight in shining armor, man. The world's going to go nuts over this guy. He's going to appear on the world scene as a, 
as a savior, if you will. And he is going to give the world exactly what it's looking for at that time. He'll have an explanation for the disappearance of all of the people. He'll bring peace to their anxious hearts. He'll stabilize the world economically. And he'll begin to introduce a plan for world peace through a one-world government and, and through global economics. And listen, the world is going to be so desperate for answers and, and for help. They're going to love his plan. And what's more than that, they'll love him. I mean, listen, for three and a half years, he's going to be the man. And the world for that three and a half years will reverence him. And the world for three and a half years will honor him. And he'll hold the position that, that, that men like Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan and Napoleon Bismarck and Hitler only dreamed of having. And a lot of other people down through the centuries dreamed of holding that position of world domination. And at this point... It will be his. And just when he is at the apex of his career, just when he is at the apex of his popula popularity, when you, when you wouldn't think that a human being could get any more popular or couldn't receive any more notoriety, all of a sudden, somebody comes along. Maybe Moses or Elijah. That's my bet. They come along with a sword and just whop! The Antichrist right in the head. And he's left lying there on the ground in a pool of his own blood, deader than a doornail. And as soon as that happens, folks, CNN, CBN, NBC, MSNBC, ABC, and all of the rest are going to interrupt their regularly scheduled broadcast and <laughs> immediately... The whole world will be brought to that part of the world and to that event via satellite. And they'll watch. They'll be glued to, the, to that set, man, right in their house. They'll be glued to that thing and they'll watch in total disbelief and, and, and absolute horror because they're wondering now that this one who has kept the world together, what's going to happen to the world scene now? And though no one in the world is going to see it, and though nobody in the world is going to hear it, and though nobody in the world would even begin to understand it, it's going to be just at that time, while the whole world's watching this thing, that Michael is going to thump Satan up in heaven, and Satan's going to be making his descent, while at the same time, Judas, down from the bottomless pit, is beginning to make his ascent, and they're going to converge on that body. Now listen... And while the whole world is watching, all of a sudden, they begin to look. And that gaping wound in his head, the camera zooms in on it, it begins to heal. And all of a sudden, his body begins to move. And he rises to his feet. And check it out, y'all. Listen. The whole world becomes an eyewitness to the resurrection of the false Christ. And listen, that's the reason for his unparalleled 
popularity. With their very own eyes, the whole world will watch the false Christ rise from the dead. And then notice next the result of his popularity. The result of his popularity. The end of verse 3 says, And all the world wondered after the beast. That's the first result. The whole world will wonder after him. I mean, now listen. He was, he was the man before he raised from the dead. And, and the world thought that there was no human being that was ever like him before. And buddy, now that they've seen this, they're going to realize that this one is even superhuman. And you understand, at this point, he is. And it says, and the world will wonder after him. And, and, and listen, that doesn't mean that they're going to be saying, well, I wonder what, wonder what that's all about. No, that, that's not it. it. It means they will hold him in awe. They'll hold him in absolute amazement. The, the, the same word wonder is translated other places in our King James Bible to marvel, to admire, to hold in admiration. And that's what they'll do. The world will marvel at this one. They'll admire him. They'll hold him in admiration. They'll stand in awe of him. The way that we'll, we'd say it today is the world is going to be absolutely blown away by this guy. We talk about the seven wonders of the world. Listen, at this point, he is literally going to be the wonder of the world. And all of the seven wonders of the world will fail and pale in comparison to the wonder that the world has for this one. But not only will the world wonder after him, the sad fact is the whole world will also worship him. The whole world will worship him. Look at verse 4. And they, and the they is all the world from the end of verse 3. And they worshiped the dragon. And who's that? Satan. Which gave power unto the beast. And they, all the world, worshiped the beast. And, and lest we get the idea that there won't be anybody left on the earth that, that doesn't worship the Antichrist, please do remember that the, the 144,000 sealed Jewish, Jewish witnesses, they won't worship him. And the numberless multitude that God uses them to reach with the gospel during the tribulation period, they won't worship him either. And that's why verse 8 right here in chapter 13 qualifies this for us. Look at it. Verse 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, here's the qualifier, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. All those whose names are written in the book of the life of the Lamb, they won't worship Him, but listen, the whole rest of the world will. And he says they'll, they'll worship Him. And an easy way to understand what worship is, is it's very simply worth-ship. Worth-ship. Listen, it's ascribing praise and honor, and adoration, and affection to one who is deemed worthy because of the attributes that they possess. 
It's ascribing praise and honor and adoration and affection to one who is deemed worthy because of the attributes they possess. And verse 4 says that the world will deem the beast worthy, first of all, because of his uniqueness, because of his uniqueness. And that's seen in the fact that it says that the whole world is going to cry out, listen to him, who is like unto the, the beast? In other words, who is his equal? Who is what he is? Who can match him? Who possesses the qualities and attributes of the beast? There's none like unto him. And then verse 4 says they'll also deem him worthy because of his might. His might. His incredible might. And that's seen in the fact that they'll also cry out, Who is able to make war with him? Can you hear them? They watch this thing happen on TV and they're jumping up and down, man. They're calling their friends and they're, they're saying, he's indestructible. There's nothing he can't do. I mean, there's no power that he doesn't possess. I mean, even if you kill him, he'll simply rise from the dead. Who is able to make war with him? And listen, he will so captivate the world that they will deify him and will worship him. And now, now listen, okay? I, I want to make sure that you don't miss what all of this is actually saying. Oh, listen now. What these verses, folks, are actually telling us is that all of the world is finally going to get the message of the resurrection of Christ. And check it out. When they do, they'll be held in such utter amazement and awe and wonder of Him that they'll unashamedly proclaim His name before the whole rest of the world and will publicly worship Him and make their identification with Him. There's just one minor little problem. Just one small little detail that we've got to make sure that we understand. And that is that they're making their identification with the false Christ and their worship of him will damn their souls to an eternal hell but do you understand this morning the reason that the world is going to be so vulnerable to this false Christ and oh don't miss this now the reason that the world is going to be so vulnerable to this false Christ is because those of us who are living in the last days of the Laodicean church period who claim to be witnesses of the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ in our own lives, we have so lost the wonder of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ rescued us out of the clutches of this world system of evil over which Satan is the head that nearly damned our souls to hell. And we've so lost the wonder of the resurrection power that changed our life that what we've done is we've reconnected ourselves to the temporal things of this world into the pleasures of this present evil world to the point that we have forgotten that the only hope the people of this world will have of not falling prey to this false Christ in the next several years is for somebody that is alive right now to tell them about the true Christ, God in human flesh, that rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. Somebody's got to get that message to them before it's too late. 
But we've so lost the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Laodicean age that we are ashamed to open our mouth in the face of the world. We become ashamed to publicly identify ourselves as worshipers of the true Christ. We pass through this world every single day missing opportunity after opportunity to let the world know that there's none like the Lord Jesus Christ. Why doesn't the world ever hear us say, Who is like unto the Lord Jesus Christ? There's none like Him. Because not only did He rise from the dead, but He raised us from the dead. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, For I am not what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The only problem is that those of us who claim to be Christians in the Laodicean age, right before this time, when this false Christ is going to come on the scene, we can't say that with Paul. We are ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Let me just ask you, when was the last time the world heard you brag on the Lord Jesus Christ the way the world's going to brag on the Antichrist. When's the last time anybody on this planet ever heard you say, there is none like the Lord Jesus Christ? When was the last time the world ever ever heard you say, who has the power that the Lord Jesus Christ did? Because did you know that almost 2,000 years ago he rose from the dead so that you could rise from spiritual death into spiritual life and you could spend eternity with Him. And folks, listen. Shame on us that the world is going to worship and give this kind of proclamation to the false Christ. And here we are in Laodicea with the 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 life of the Lord Jesus Christ pulsing through our veins. And we're afraid to open our mouth. And check this out. I mean, get this in your mind. The people on this planet that are alive right now on this planet who are rejecting the true Christ right now, those people will be more fanatical in their worship of the false Christ in the tribulation than we are of the true Christ right now. Man, I wish we could get that in our heads right now. You know why we're having this Bible conference this week, y'all? So we can drag you out four stinking nights in a row and we can have big time singing and all that kind of stuff and we can get, yay, one more sermon. No, you know why we're having this Bible conference this week? to shake all of us back into the other half of reality that we can't see. That other half of reality where there is a battle that is going on on this planet right now, above our heads. It's going on right now. We can't see it. But there's a battle going on right now for the souls of men. And somehow we got to get shaken back into the reality to see what's really going on. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18, while we look... Not at things which are seen, 
but the, at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. And listen, according to what Jesus said of us, this is not my opinion, according to what Jesus said of us in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, right now, because we Laodiceans are so complacent, because we Laodiceans are so nonchalant, because we Laodiceans are so half-hearted, because we Laodiceans are so in love with ourselves, and we're so lukewarm, listen to it, fully half of the world's six billion people who are alive on this planet right now, fully half of them, three billion of them, have never one time ever had anybody on this planet ever give them a clear presentation of the gospel. Not even once! Two billion of those three billion have never heard the two words, Jesus Christ. Coca-Cola, they've heard of. IBM, they've heard of. But listen, they've just never heard the name that Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says is the only name given among men whereby we, next word, must be saved. And while we come into this room week after week and drink up book after book of the Bible, preached verse by verse and cross-referenced to the hilt and outlined, do you realize this morning that there are still over 5,000 languages on this planet in 1999 that don't even have one book of the Bible translated into their language, much less anybody preaching that book to them? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And listen, I'm not trying to make us feel guilty this morning because we've been able to be a part of the blessing of God in this place. I'm just wanting to ask you, though, could it be? I mean, could it really be that God wants all of this light concentrated in this one little part of the planet? when the rest of the world is so incredibly dark? I mean, could it really be that what God wants until He comes for us is for us to gather in this room week after week and, and learn more and more and more about the book of Revelation and how all of this ties together while the world is still waiting to hear the two words, Jesus Christ? I mean, could it really be that that's what God wants? Jeff's going to come this week and he's going to ask, ask you a question. And that is, will you claim your field? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13 that the field is the world. And I know, and God knows, you actually, personally, individually, you can't get to all the world. You can't do it. But what part of this world, what part of the field which is the world is God asking you to claim as your field? Jeff's going to be here tonight and he's going to, from the book of Proverbs tonight, going to ask you to consider
a field. To try to find where is it on this planet that God wants you to not get yourself connected to the things of this world, but get into that field. And morning, noon, and night, just like Satan, because we know our time is short, we get into that field and we eat, drink, and sleep. Our one mission to reproduce sons of God on this earth. And as we go through this conference this week, I want to ask you, please, as you're praying, would you do this? Please do not pray, Lord, do you want me to go? I'm asking you, don't pray that. The reason I'm telling you don't pray that is because the last words of our commander-in-chief were to go into all the world. So don't get in his face now and ask him, now, do you, do you want me to go? Ask him, Lord, do you want me to stay? I mean, if you really want to get honest this week, that's the way to pray. Lord, do you really want me to stay where there's all this light week after week? Consider the field. But, oh, I'm telling you, man, shame on us. If the worshipers of the Antichrist have more zeal and more boldness for the false Christ and hold him in more wonder and worship than we do the true Christ. So that's the unparalleled popularity of this false prince. So we've seen the unique parentage of this false prince, the unparalleled popularity of this false prince. And then number three, John shows us the unscrupulous purposes of this false prince in verses 5 to 8. And Troy, would you please move here? Okay, move here. I, I like the way this dude says amen, don't you? He is here to pump me up. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> the unscrupulous purposes of this false prince, and we see this is in verses 5 to 8, and John shows us four of those purposes here. First and foremost, listen, his purpose is to defy the God of heaven. To defy the God of heaven. Look at verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. Check it out now. To blaspheme His name. That's why He's hitting this planet. That's the purpose that He's got down inside. He wants to blaspheme the name of our God. And Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25 that when He comes, He says, He shall speak great words against the Most High. In chapter 8 and verse 25, Daniel says, He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, which of course is our Lord Jesus Christ. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, it says, And the king, that's the king of the bottomless pit, the beast, the Antichrist, and the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god 
and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods. He will be bent on blaspheming, defying the name of our God. And Paul tells us about this same thing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. It says that he will come and he will oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or, the, or, or that is worshipped so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God. You talk about blasphemy, man. He's coming, taking the seat that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to have in that temple in Jerusalem. He comes and sits himself down in that seat and proclaims that he is God. And folks, he will be absolutely and totally bent on defying God, finding any and every way possible to blaspheme his name. Folks, I don't even think that we can even begin to comprehend the hatred that Satan has for the one true Jehovah God. And verse 6 of Revelation 13 goes on to say that his defiance against God will be made manifest not only in him speaking blasphemy against the Lord's name, but also his tabernacle or the Lord's dwelling place. You see, now listen, don't ever forget. Satan has always and forever wanted to sit where God sits. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 13 that in eternity past, Lucifer said, I, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And you see, that's what caused his downfall in the first place and in the tribulation period when he knows that his time is short when he knows that he has only 42 months, when he knows that he only has 1,260 days, and he knows that he's never going to be able to ascend the heights of the clouds, you know what he does? He blasphemes and speaks against the dwelling place of God. He speaks against the place where he's always wanted to sit. And look at the last part of verse 6. He's also running his big mouth in blasphemy against them that dwell in heaven. And again, y'all, at this point in the tribulation period, think about it. Do you know who that is? That's me and you. That's all of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, who are going to be raptured off of the face of this earth and transported to heaven before the tribulation period begins. And you see, according to Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, he's no longer, as we saw earlier this morning, he's no longer going to have access into heaven to get in God's face to accuse us. So he's going to spend the next 42 months on this earth still blaspheming us. Just like I don't think we can fully comprehend how much he hates God and the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, I don't think that we can fully comprehend on this earth the hatred that he has for those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ either. But you see, he's no longer, at this point, he's cast to the earth. He'll no longer be able to get at us then. But you know what? Listen, he knows that. At this point, when he's blaspheming, he knows that. But you see, he's not blaspheming us to get at us. Because we ain't going to give two flips about that. He's blaspheming us because he wants to defy God. He wants to get at God. You know what? You, you can say a whole lot bad about me and, you know, in the ministry. 
you, you, you get a little bit toughened to some of that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? You can, you can have people speak all kind of evil things about you. And you know what? I'm going to be all right with that. Eddie, you speak evil against my kids. And all of a sudden, I'm not very Christian-like. All of a sudden, I'm just telling you, something happens to me. And you know what? I think that Satan knows that that's the way it is with God's kids, too. So he'll blaspheme us even after we're dwelling with God in the heavens, in his true tabernacle in the heavens. But that's Satan's first purpose through the Antichrist, to defy the God of heaven. And then secondly, to destroy the saints on earth. To destroy the saints on earth. The first part of verse 7 says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Now listen, this is not us. These are the tribulation saints. These are the ones who are going to be the saints who will be on the earth during the tribulation period. Again, now this is not the 144,000 sealed Jewish, Jewish witnesses. These saints are the ones that the 144,000 will evangelize. That's the saints that he's talking about here. And as I mentioned earlier, according to Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, there's going to be so many of them that are come to, going to come, come to Christ through the, the ministry of the 144,000 that John looked at him and says, you can't even number them. I mean, millions and millions of people who at, right now have never heard the gospel, millions of them will be coming to Christ during the tribulation period. And listen, at that point, Satan, through the body of the Antichrist, is going to wage out and out, listen to it, war against them. Now check it out. He just had a war in heaven where he got the devil beat out of him by Michael. And now he's looking for somebody that he can thump. And here are the saints on the earth. And he is going to wage out-and-out war against them. And you folks who are here for our study of church history, you'll remember all the atrocities that Satan meted out on Bible believers during the Dark Ages. You remember that? And I want you to listen, buddy. During the tribulation period, Satan's going to employ all of the techniques that he has learned in 60 years centuries of torturing and terrorizing God's people. He's going to pull them all together. He'll wage war against them in the tribulation period using the, the refurbished equipment of the Dark Ages. The rack, the thumbscrew, the pincers, the stake, the hot irons and grills, the boiling oil, the starving pigs and, and rats, the gunpowder. He'll wage war against the saints using the methods of the Holocaust of this century. The gas chambers, the firing squads, the concentration camps, the death pits. And I'm telling you, during the tribulation period, what he's showing us here is he is going to wage war against the saints. And it is going to be an absolute bloodbath. And Satan is going to go at it day and night day and night because he knows that his time is short. He knows that this is his last fling and buddy it's going to be a doozy. I'm telling you unbelievable time of persecution. So Satan's purposes through the Antichrist will be to defy the God of heaven to destroy the saints on earth 
And then thirdly, to dominate the nations of the world. To dominate the nations of the world. As we talked about back in verse 1, this beast, John says, has seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns. And we saw that in the kingdom of the Antichrist, the old Roman Empire will be revived under a federation of ten sovereign states. And the Antichrist will use the, the basic boundaries of that old Roman world as his base in the tribulation period. But listen now, though he's got these ten nations that he's using as his base, don't ever lose sight of the fact that Satan will not be content with anything other than world domination. World domination. You say, well, why is that? It's because that's the position that he once held on this planet as the anointed cherub that covered, according to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And listen, during the tribulation, the, the rest of verse 7 says that he'll finally get what he's been seeking to get for the last 6,000 years. He will dominate the nations of the world. The middle of verse 7 says, And power was given him over all kindreds or, or people groups and tongues and nations. Just what he's always wanted. And then John shows us a fourth purpose that Satan will have through this false prince. Not only to defy the God of heaven and to destroy the saints on earth and to dominate the nations of the world, but to dupe the masses of mankind. To dupe the masses of mankind. Verse 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. And again, we're, we're right back to Isaiah 14. Listen, Satan has never lost his insatiable desire to be like the Most High. And what he wanted initially was to receive the worship that was intended for God and God alone. And that's what he's trying to get back through the person of the Antichrist as Satan himself comes and is Satan incarnate in the body of this one. That's going to be his purpose. And so through his so-called resurrection, he will totally dupe the masses of mankind. Verse 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, now we're going to go into detail on this Lamb's book of life when we get to Revelation chapter 20 and, and verse 12. That is, if the rapture doesn't take, take place first. But, but now listen, a, a lot of folks want to tell you, look at that the, the verse again there, verse 8. A lot of people want to tell you that the names in that book are all of the people who will be saved. And, and then they try to tell us that the names are written there from the foundation of the world so that it works out like this. If God wrote your name there before the foundation of the world, then you will get saved. And if God didn't write your name there, you won't get saved. And I'll just tell you, if I believed that, I'd quit my job today, I'd go out tomorrow and get a real job and at least try to make an honest living. 
because there's no sense doing what we're doing right now. If everybody's going to get saved, it's going to get saved because God said it. No, listen, having your name in the book of life of the Lamb has to do with a choice that you make. Not a choice that God predisposed you to make before the foundation of the world. And then check this out. I mean, God just busting through all the unscrupulous purposes of the Antichrist. He's just coming through all this stuff here. And then he hits this fourth one about this false prince duping the masses of mankind all over the earth. And then God inspires John in verse 9 to just drop this, this bomb of a warning. And listen, God, God screams out through John, If any man have an ear, let him hear. What's up with that? tell you what's up with that. If you're here this morning and you've never come into a relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the only way that you come into a relationship with God, if that's your case this morning, listen, verse 9 is for you. God's saying to you in verse 9, you better stop the, the world's going real fast out there, isn't it? And God's saying, you better stop. And all kind of things are happening everywhere. You better look. And there's all kind of voices that are screaming out. And God says, you better listen. Because if you don't, if you don't, if you don't turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, listen now, if you don't turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust His death, burial and resurrection as your only hope of having your sin removed and become a true worshiper of the true God. Listen, what this passage is telling us is that in just a few more years from now, look at verse 8, you will be one of those in verse 8 who will dwell upon the earth. And listen now, and you will be one of the worshipers that it's talking about there that will worship this false prince. And, and now listen, it really is that black and white. I want you to know that. And, and I have to say this all the time because we have so many people who are guests with us every week and people are hearing all the intensity of all of this thing. We're living in the last days and all of this. And, and it's just an automatic. People that don't want to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, turn from their sin and to the God of the universe, what, the way they appease themselves in a service like this is they tell themselves, I'm gonna, when all, I see all this taking place, I'm going to be one of those that's going to turn to Christ then. And I, I've had to say this so often. I know our, our folks probably get sick of hearing this, but we've got to say this for our guests. That's not the way that it'll come down. Because what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is that when you have received the truth of the Word of God and you have willfully rejected it because you don't want the God of the universe interrupting the pleasures that you're having on this planet right now, and you can listen to the truth of God that's revealed to you like it's being done in this service this morning, if you can listen to it and in the face of God's truth, lie to yourself. God says that he will see to it in the tribulation period that you get 
just what you're asking for this morning. You will get a lie, and God says he'll send you strong delusion so that you'll believe the lie. That's not fair! Yes, it is. Because the God of the universe is revealing his truth to you now. So listen, don't, don't, don't put this thing off. Don't, don't say, yeah, I'm going to do it then. God says you, you won't do it then. So he says, listen, if you've got an ear, then hear. And, and listen, one of these days, and, and, and man, I'm telling you, I, I was without Christ at one point. And you know what? I think through this while I'm even preaching. That if I were to come to a service like this and hear all of this, I, I'd, be, I'd be waiting for the sucker to shut up up there, man. I'd want to just turn this thing off. But I just want to tell you, there's coming a day. If you don't turn to the true Christ, and when all the cards have been played, and the Lord Jesus Christ comes back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all them that obey not the gospel of God, you know what? There will come a day in eternity. When you'll look back on a service like this and you'll say, man, I wish I would, that guy would have preached just a little bit louder. I wish he would have preached just a little bit longer. I thought that was the longest service I had ever been in in my life, and it probably was. But on that day, you'll say, man, I, I, I wish he would have gone just a little bit longer. Because I, I, my ears, they almost heard it. God says, listen, if you've got an ear, hear. And then after showing us the unique parentage of this false prince and his unparalleled popularity and his unscrupulous purposes in verse 10, John shows us the ultimate perdition of this false prince. The ultimate perdition of this false prince. And I love this. Now, 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 now look at me. I know, it's, I know it's late right now, Okay. Don't miss this, though. Oh, don't miss this. I mean, you can already tell what it's, what's coming, can't you? The ultimate perdition of this false prince. I mean, we watched him this morning as he just wreaks havoc over the entire earth. It's coming down, though, y'all. Do you remember the, the questions that the people of this earth are going to be asking in wonder and worship of the Antichrist back in verse 4? Look, look at it. You remember that? They're going to be, all the people on the earth right now that are rejecting the Christ that we love, what's going to be happening is they're going to be saying, who is like unto the, the beast? And who is able to make war with him? I, you know what? I almost, I almost couldn't stand not answering the question when we were coming through this before. But I wanted to end on answering the question because that's what John does in verse 10. I wanted to answer it, buddy. Anybody here want to answer that question for him? Here's the, the people of the world at that time, and they're going to be saying, who is like the beast? I'll tell you who's like the beast. The Lord Jesus Christ is so far beyond anything and everything that this false Christ is. And when his 42 months of, of flaunting himself and running his mouth and torturing and killing God's people is up, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back and going to show him who's who. And he is going to come and he's going to make war with him. And if you want to know what the outcome of that war is going to be, listen, Daniel in his vision in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 11, Daniel's already seen it, y'all. Check it out. He said, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning fire. 
Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 4 that the Lord Jesus Christ will come at the end of the tribulation and shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8 that the Lord Jesus Christ will come at his second coming and will consume the Antichrist, listen to it, with the spirit of his mouth. And if you don't know what the spirit of his mouth is, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 tells you what it is. It's the sword of the spirit, which is the, the word of God. And it says, with the spirit of his mouth, he shall destroy him with the brightness of his coming. Who's like the beast? And who will make war with him? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's who. And he's going to spank him like a two-year-old at Kmart, man. <laughs> and oh, buddy. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I love the way that Daniel just put it back there, what he said. And I love the way that Isaiah said it. And I love the way that Paul said it. But none of them got to say it the way that John got to say it. Go over here to John chap or <laughs> Revelation chapter 19. Check it out now. John, John's already seen this thing too. I mean, listen, this thing we're talking about, the perdition of the, the Antichrist, this thing is as good as done. John's already witnessed this thing. It's already happened. You say, I don't understand that. Okay, good. I don't either. But he was catapulted forward in time and has already watched all of this stuff that we're talking about. He watched it take place. Not, it's not like we're sitting around wondering this morning, wow, what if this is really going to happen? It's already happened. John wrote about it. I don't get it, but that's what it says. And check this out now. John says in chapter 19, in the context from verse 11 on is the second coming of Christ. And oh, bud, check it out. He says in verse 19, And I saw the beast. You see, he saw it. I saw the beast. This is the one that John's been talking about back in chapter 13. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse. Who's that? That's Jesus Christ. And against his army. Who's that, y'all? Amen. That's us. And oh, buddy, here they are. Oh, bud, they've got him surrounded. And don't you know the Lord Jesus Christ is just going to really be freaked out at this point. Oh, I'm telling you, man, he's going to be asking for Tums and Rolaids and Pepto-Bismol. He's going to be so nervous. He'll be wringing his hands. Uh-uh. No, no, you don't need to turn there, but just listen. In Psalm 2, in verse 2, it talks about the same exact thing. When the kings of the earth will set themselves against the Lord and his anointed. And you, you know what it says God the Father is going to be doing at that point, y'all? He's going to laugh! I mean, here they are. We're going we're gonna to do business with you, man. You're coming down. God's up in heaven going, Yeah, y'all come here. <laughs> Look at this. Ain't this cute? Watch this. <laughs> They're setting themselves against the king of kings and the lord of lords, man. Ain't this cute, y'all? It says he'll laugh. Look at verse, verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet, that's the one we're getting ready to see in the rest of chapter 13, that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. And now check it out. 
these boats, the beast that we've been talking about all morning in the false prophet, were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Amen? And drop down to chapter 20 and look at the end of verse 10 because it says that there they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And now go back to Revelation 13. You see, this is what John was talking about in verse 10 when he says, He that leadeth into captivity, listen, that's the Antichrist, shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword, that's the Antichrist on those tribulation saints. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. We've already seen it. That's the sharp sword that comes out of the Lord's mouth. Bam! His word. And look at what John says at the end. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Listen, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ can and will make war with him and will kick the snot out of him when he does is what is going to keep those tribulation saints going. And not just them. It keeps us going, doesn't it? I want want to just tell you now, if this week through this conference you set yourself to a field and tonight as we're challenged from the book of Proverbs to consider a field, I want you to know something. If you really do that with your life and that really becomes the passion of your life, And because you know your time is short, you eat, drink, and sleep, that mission, working to the point of exhaustion in your field, you know what? You are going to find yourself in an out-and-out war. And you will be shot at. And you will be hit. And you will get hurt. And it won't be easy. And it may be that you have to buy your field with your own blood. What's going to keep us going is verse 10. It's because we know that one of these days, Satan and his false prince, the anti-son, the anti-Christ, they're going to get theirs. The captor will be taken captive. The killer will be killed. And we'll go to the point of exhaustion, counting ourselves blown away that we were counted worthy to be able to suffer for his name. But now listen, I believe that God's bringing this church to a turning point this week. Field is the world. And as we talked about this morning, Laodicea is doing hardly anything reach the masses that are on this planet right now who will be the very people that we've been talking about that will be alive in the tribulation period. And something needs to happen in us. Every single person. Listen, I, I, I hope to my soul that you're not at the point of saying, well, Shug, do you want to come to the services this week? Man, I hope you're not at that point. Not when the the world is desperately needing to know 
that the people on this planet who have got the resurrection power of the living God inside of them, and they desperately need to know that we so hold him in wonder and worship that we will publicly proclaim his name and that they can have the same power that raised us to new life to raise them to new life. Somebody's got to get that message out, and it's us. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, listen, I couldn't pick a better day for you to come, for you to understand what's getting ready to take place on this planet. And listen, this morning, the holy God of the universe in heaven looks down into this room today, and by his Spirit taking the Word of God, he has sought today to convince you of your sin and of his righteousness and of judgment to come. The reason that he wanted his spirit to convince you of that is not so you could be in here and be scared to death and feel real bad. It's because he wants to have a love relationship with you. He wanted it so desperately that he himself became a man and came to this planet and reached out his arms on that cross so that he could embrace you. And we nailed him to a cross. And the Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we, sinful human beings, might be made the righteousness of God in him. And the God of the universe today is trying to, to speak to you. He screams out to you, listen, if you have an ear, here so that you don't get duped by the false Christ who's getting ready to make his appearance on this planet. As our service is concluded, our pastors are going to be on either side of the front of this room, positioning themselves there as your invitation. We're inviting you today to come and talk to one of these men. If you're a lady, we'll, we'll have one of these men get a lady that can talk to you, take, to you, take you to a private place to where we, we can talk to you, we can Seek to answer your questions from the Word of God. But for God's sake, if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is your day. This is it. Will you come to Christ this morning? And I want to ask you to, to consider that right now. And we'll pray. Christians, pray that God will give these people that are here this morning that need to trust Christ the courage to come and talk to one of these men. Or maybe you'd feel more comfortable if you came with somebody today through their invitation. Maybe you'd feel more comfortable talking to them. Do it. But the Bible says today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart. Don't harden your heart as you are dismissed from this service. Respond to the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ today. And oh, church, would you pray this week? That God would help you to see the field which is the world like you've never seen it before. And find that place. On Wednesday night, you know what we're going to ask you to do? We're going to bring this map down. We're going we're to put it down on the floor. We're going to give you a pin, and we're going to ask you, where is your place? Where is it that this week the God of the universe said, here is the field that I have for you. I want you to claim that field and I want you to go buy it at whatever cost it takes. Would you be praying this week? Hey, 
maybe the field is going to be Tuscross or, or Stark or Hamilton or Guernsey County, whatever, Holmes, wherever you came from. Maybe it's going to be that place. And we'll rejoice with that. I don't want you to think that you're going to be second class if you don't go to another part of the world. Hey, if this is your field, buy it! And lock your shields together with us and let's reach this field. But all of us this week need to find that place. That place where the God of the universe has left us as a missionary. I don't care if you work at Gradall or Richards Medical or... General Electric, I don't care where you work. If this is your field, God's left you here as a missionary. And let's do what needs to be done because the hour is so late. Let's pray. And now, Lord, would you do in our midst what only, what only you can? You, you have called those of us that hold this office in the church to preach the word because you said it's through the foolishness of preaching that you would save people. And now, Lord, we have preached, but we understand that this work is your work. And that your spirit right now must, must do what needs to be done in the lives of people that so desperately need to receive you. Oh, Lord, I pray you'd show them today the urgency of receiving you as their Savior. May they not leave this building without talking to someone and seeing from the Word of God how they can come into a relationship with you and anticipate your glorious return in the very near future. And oh God, as a church, would you do something of unbelievable significance in us this week? We need you desperately to open our eyes to see the field of the world the way that you see it. Break our hearts this week and help us to know where it is that you are placing us on this field where we can labor to the point of exhaustion until you come. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.